0: let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings to us this morning. I pray that you would anoint and empower Brother Daniel as he ministers to us, as he brings to us what you have laid on his heart. I pray that we as listeners would be attentive, that we would uh, ask your spirit to give us what you have for us this morning. We're looking to you for a blessing. We anticipate a blessing. We trust you, and I just ask that you would, uh, as we lift Daniel to the throne, that he would be able to minister to us effectively. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. On Thursday, Jess and I had the privilege of being able to take a day off, and we went to New York City. And many of you know that I work in the food industry, and many great restaurateurs are in New York City. And we walked by blocks and blocks of famous restaurants, and I had to think of a story that I actually read, over the time of um, when our nation happened, and it's a whole book, but this story I'm going to share with you really has changed the way I think about service and you know my response to you know situations and caring for others. But there's another point that I want to draw from this story um, later on in conclusion of this sermon. But 11 Madison Park is, for more years than any other restaurant in the world, has been the number one restaurant in the world voted by a group of restaurateurs. This is an incredible honor that is very rarely given to a restaurant more than one year in a row. And that that restaurant went from a very low-level restaurant to the number one restaurant in about eight years. And in his book, the general manager and owner of that restaurant shares a story about hospitality. And I'm going to read it. It's about a page long and... um, Just kind of for some perspective. One afternoon, I was clearing the appetizer plates from a foretop of Europeans headed straight to the airport after their meal. A quick aside, there's nothing more flattering than a guest walking in with luggage. You're either the one thing they didn't want to miss or the very first thing that they got to when they came into your city. Another aside... I was busing a lot of tables because it was a great way for me to stay in connection with the people who were dining in my restaurant. The servers could take care of um, bringing their food. The chefs knew more about the food, the food than I did, but by clearing the tables, I connected with the guest. Anyway, as I was clearing a particular table, I overheard four guests crowing about all the culinary adventures they had had in New York City. They went to Daniel, Per Se, Mama Fuku, and now Eleven Madison Park. They've done everything they wanted to do, but then one guest said, the one thing we haven't had was a dirty watered hot dog. I just wish we would have done that in New York City. For those of you who don't know, a dirty water hot dog, there are two types of hot dogs. There are bad hot dogs, and there are dirty water hot dogs. <laughs> um, so in New York City, and we saw them, I didn't get one at New York when we were there on Thursday, I should have, but they had these hot dog carts, and people are lined up to get hot dogs. It's the strangest thing but it's something that I feel like is very unique to New York City. Well, anyway, back to the story. The guest went on with their meal. We brought them um, dry-aged duck for two, that was dry-aged for two weeks that the chef had painfully shaved over a bed of pasta, and on and on and on. But... When I heard that they missed a dirty water hot dog, I bolted out the back door, ran to the hot dog stand, and bought a hot dog. Now came the hard part. Was convincing Daniel, my executive chef, to serve a dirty water hot dog. So. This is the hospitality solution, a problem that we solve by not sneakily chipping away at service we were offering them, but by blowing it out in the opposite direction, by giving more, not less. Too often we are faced with the pernicious problem in our business. We fall back and try the tried and true. We push harder to be more efficient, to cut back especially when the problems are nagging ones that erode the bottom line. Imagine, though, instead of resorting to one of these fallback positions, you ask yourself, what is the hospitality position? What if you force yourself to be creative? Oh, no wonder. I'm sorry. I'm My iPad's moving around. There we go. Sorry, I am... Losing my spot. Okay. he Back to Daniel. Um, so he brings the hot dog to the chef, and then his chef. He looks at me like I'd gone crazy. I always try to push the boundaries, but serving what New Yorkers call a dirty water hot dog in a four-star restaurant, I held my ground and told him, trust me. This is important to me. He finally agreed to cut the hot dog in four perfect pieces, adding a swoosh of mustard, a whoosh of ketchup, and perfect kernels of sauerkraut and relish to each plate. Before we brought out their final savory course, I admitted to the guests that I had been eavesdropping. We're thrilled you chose us for your last meal in New York City, but we did not want you to go home with any culinary regrets, I said. As the kitchen servers set the artistically plated hot dog sections down on each plate, they went crazy. I have given away thousands of dishes and many thousands of dollars worth of food at this point in my career, and yet I can confidently tell you that nobody has ever responded that way to any food I've served. And that table, when they left, told me that this was the culinary highlight of their visit to New York, and that they would be telling the story For the rest of their lives. So I'm gonna leave that story sit for a minute, and we're gonna get into today's text. Um, There is a point in sharing it, um, aside from many the many things we can learn from it. Today's text is Luke 1. And Luke 1 is the second longest chapter in the Bible. It is the long or in the New Testament, it is the longest by number of verses, or not, and it is the second by number of words. So I will just tell you we are going to be reading most of this passage, um, but I am not going to be digging into a lot of the nuances in it. My goal for this sermon is that we get a picture of this story. Um, and that's really the number one goal. The number two goal is that we can pull several things out of the lives of the characters in this story. And there are three characters that I want to focus on. Zacharias, Elizabeth, and Mary. And so I want to, and I want to pull a common thread between all three of these characters and the way they responded. So um, that being said, we are going to be spending a good bit of time reading scripture. So um, I just um, follow along, as Dave said, engage with that. Um, and I will bite it, break it down into some bite-sized bits um, as we go through this. So um, let's start by reading Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. And as we read this section, think of this as the introduction to the characters Zacharias and Elizabeth. Um, Luke 1, 5 through 7. There was in that day of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So, an introduction to them, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, um, just a couple things to note here. A lot of supposition is made on all the different kind of details, and I do find I can find that really interesting to kind of pull all these kind of facts out about them. But the things that we clearly do know is um, that they were righteous and blameless and that they had no children. And I think one of the things that I thought about with that statement of no children is in this day and age, there were two things to think about. Is that, number one, there was a lack of security, both for Zacharias and for Elizabeth. Um, Because children, especially a son, would have been a big part of, if anything happened to Zacharias, the stability of somebody to provide for um, Elizabeth. So there is a void in their lives, but they continue to live blamelessly before God. And um, and then also, there's this weird question mark thing with not having children, where the question is, what did you do wrong to not have children? So even though they were blameless, there's this question mark. Now, the irony of this is, Many of the prominent women in the Old Testament are barren, so I, I think there's some there's some irony in this, but um, but there is also that um, that reality of the time. So, moving on to chapter or to verses eight through twenty three, and um, just this is going to be t- walking us through the story of. Zacharias going into the temple, and um, just follow along. I think it's pretty clear just in the scriptures, so I'm going to read it without too much comment or explanation. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. And when he went into the temple of the Lord... And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. to turn the hearts of the Father to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waiting for Zacharias, waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple but when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. So a couple comments here just, um, just kind of to point out with... Um, with this story. Zacharias is going into something that is a moment of a lifetime. This um, honor of being able to burn the incense or offer the incense. At this time, it's a little unknown, but a lot of scholars would say there's about 20,000 eligible people in Zacharias's position who would be up for grabs to do this honor. So at very best, we're looking at a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that would be kind of the culmination of you know all that he has worked for and probably a huge affirmation for somebody who has this this void of not having children. And So he's having this honor take place, and in the middle of his moment, he has an angel of the Lord show up. And one of the things that I was just drawn to to think about was, how many times in our lives do we have a moment where we're asking our where we feel like it's our moment? And... This is Zachariah's moment. He's, it's, it's his moment, and God shows up. And rather than stepping in and saying, hey, God, this is my moment. Give me some space. Zacharias goes along with that. And I'm struck with that, and that's willingness that willingness, even in the time of that's a big, a big moment for him that he is willing to go with God's plan. And I think that, that understanding that it's not about him, it's about God's plan, is what allows God to use Zacharias. Um, so he goes and the angel has the message for Zacharias. And this is where commentaries would kind of disagree or agree, but um, I'm not really sure one way or the other, but he struck dumb. And one of the things that some commentaries would say this was a punishment for his unbelief, I'm not really sure that it's a punishment. He asked for a sign and God gives him a sign. Um, So I'm, I'm not... You can agree or disagree on that, or maybe do some research on your own. But I I kind of, yeah, it's an interesting thought. But, um, so, rather than choosing to be frustrated with God, Zacharias does not. He goes with God's plan, and he walks out of the temple, and Another thing I will note here, this walking out of the temple, again, another moment. Normally, Zacharias would come out and he would perform a blessing for all the multitudes around him. And he's dumb and uh, cannot speak. And so, again, his moment that he has to do this thing is taken away from him so that God's plan can can move forward. So, moving on verses 24 and 25. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceives, conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looketh on me to take away my reproach. So, again, not a lot of comments about this, but just... Um, as we work our way through the story, we see the fulfillment of what God, what the angel prophesied to um, Zacharias. And um, I'll also just point out at this point, Zacharias and Elizabeth, we don't know how old they are, but, you know, we're 50, 60, 70, I don't know, but they weren't young. They weren't, and sometimes I can start to, we're in the process of starting a family, and I can start to feel pretty old um, as I look around, And but this is just a reminder. We're, we're not that old compared to these guys. So, um, but, so we, uh, moving on into, um, so Elizabeth, um, we're going to come back to Elizabeth in a little bit, but verses 26 through 38, we have another big chunk that we're going to read here. Now, in the sixth month, an an angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But... When she saw him, she was troubled at his sayings and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son of God and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne and his father David. has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we'll pause there. Um, Again, I want to draw out this theme of somebody, some of... Mary being at a time in her life where it was her moment. So it's a little bit of a side thing, but if we look in verse, um, verse, well, I'm not sure quite, but anyway, it says um, Mary is betrothed. And Dennis did a really good job in our men's Sunday school the other day Kind of talking about what betrothal meant in um, in Bible time and in um, Jewish culture and how it's there's probably nothing quite like it in our current setting because it was a time I mean it was a time when it wasn't just like you're dating or engaged, it was actually a commitment that would have taken a divorce to have broken. So Mary's in this time of celebration. I mean, she's it's her time. It's her wedding time. She's looking forward to this um, and all the stability and all the other things that come with that. And um, so again, another scenario where you know, it's her time. But God has different plans. And I'm struck with her response, just like Zacharias, rather than be upset or be, you know, hey, God, just hold on a little bit. Let me get married. We'll get this figured out and then go on with your plan. Her time gets put on hold to fit into God's time. And Again, I just want to reiterate, it's not about Mary. It's about God's plan. So, and her response to that is so key. Without that response, you don't have the story that we have today. So, the final person we're going to spend some time talking about is Elizabeth, And so, picking up in verse 39, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill countries with haste to the to a city of Judea, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Again, we're going to pause here and just look at Elizabeth's response. So, um, earlier we talked about that Mary traveled, that the angel said to Mary that she's in her six months, and I just want to think a little, six months of expecting the baby. Um, at this point, why is that significant? And I think... As I think of the expecting mothers, I have uh, my wife's twin sisters expecting a baby. And in the beginning, there's always this stage where we don't talk about it much because it's, it's a scary time. You don't know, you know, things happen. But once you're at five, six, seven months, that's the time that everybody knows. You're telling your neighbors it's a joyous time and... It's, again, it's Elizabeth's time. She's finally being validated to the community, to the people around her. And then Mary shows up just in that moment when it's time for Elizabeth to have a little bit of the focus on her, and Mary shows up. What is Mary's response, or Elizabeth's response to Mary? She celebrates with her, and she worships God. And got, um, and um, you know this is it's just a beautiful picture here of you know, not being focused on herself, but being focused on God's plan. And again, I want to bring come back to that idea. it's not about Elizabeth. it's about God's plan for salvation. So. Um, So as we go down, um, I just want to read verses 46 through 55 without a lot of comment. Um, It's going to be Mary's response then to, um, to Elizabeth's response. And I think the only thing I'll say is just again, we see somebody who's not focused on herself, but rather focused on God and God's plan. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservants. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and the holy and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. For generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be deliver, delivered, and she brought forth a son. Um, I'll pause there. I actually read a couple extra verses, but um, we'll, um, we'll just actually keep reading. When the neighbors and the relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what would he would have him called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name shall be called John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard kept them in their hearts, them them heart, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, we'll pause there, sorry, I keep having a runny nose, I'm just grateful that's all it is today, so, um, I think the big takeaway I had, again, and it's not a new idea with Zacharias, we already talked about this previously, but Again, we have, it's Zacharias' moment. He has his son. Like, this is something I'm looking forward to. And I think about this, like, when you're in that moment, and they want to honor him by naming the child after him. And rather than that, he submits to God and says, nope, he's going to be called John. Think about how easy this would have been for him. He can't speak. He has an out here. He can just be like, yeah, I can't really say anything. Let's name him after me. No, he follows what God instructed him to do. Again, it's not about Zacharias. It's not about Elizabeth. It's not about Mary. It's about God's plan. So, and then not only does he go with God's plan, but in the next... um, basically to the end of the chapter, he praises God for what God's done. And so I'm just going to read that again. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In a house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, what should that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, which, with which the dayspring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death, To guide our feet in the way of peace. And then verse 80, So the child grew up and became strong in the spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So, again, we see just that praise and the attitude that Zacharias had. Now, before we kind of close, I do want to bring one other contrast to this. If we turn back earlier into in the passage, um, we see that when the angel comes and visits um, Zacharias in the temple and tells him a little bit about John, he says, and the child will have no... Um, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drinks. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And I do want to contrast this to, if we look back in the Old Testament, this is essentially a very similar um, kind of vow or appearance that Samson would have had. And I do just want to contrast those two when... when we make it about us, which Samson did, um, you have a very different result. And I think it's easy sometimes to just be like, yeah, well, God called these people, you know, Zacharias and Elizabeth, you know, they didn't really have a choice. They had to respond that way. And we get into free will and a bunch of other stuff like that that we probably don't want to get into right now. But the point behind this is, when we make it about us, we have a very different result. Um, and, and we see that. You know, God's will still got worked out with Samson. And, I'm, and, you know, that's a familiar enough story. I don't need to go into it. But, but it didn't work out very well for Samson. Um, so I, I did want to just bring out that contrast. Um, so in conclusion... As we go into the holiday season and prepare to start thinking about the Christmas story, we we may be tempted to ask ourselves, who is the season about? And a lot of times there's focus on family. There's focus on all these things around that and events and things that are really important to us. And then in a bigger picture, we can ask, who is life really about? And just like Zacharias, Elizabeth, and Mary, that was the wrong question to really be asking. Rather, they needed to acknowledge it was not about them, but it is about preparing for them. It was about preparing the way for Jesus. And ultimately, for all of us, it is about the coming of Jesus, and the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation for the world. And only by submitting and rejoicing in God's plan can we know true joy, just like Zacharias, Mary, and Elizabeth all found that joy. We see that lots of joy in this passage, but it was only through when they were willing to say, it's not about us. So I think my prayer for each and all, of, each of us coming into this season is that we can focus on the true meaning of the holiday season rather than ourselves. And I just would ask you, as you come into those situations where it feels like it's your moment, remember that it's not our moment. It's God's moment and God's plan. And be willing to give up both the hard times, but also be willing to give up the good times for the fulfillment of what God has for your life. So I did want to follow up on my story at the beginning. What does that have to do with with being willing to, it's not about us? So they had a beautiful thing going on there. They had the number one restaurant in the world, but they weren't creating the best memory for that person. It was only for because the chef was willing to say, it's not about my fancy dish. It's about following what I'm told to do and is being asked of me and something so simple as serving a hot dog. So again, that encouragement to not hold on to our idea and our moment, but to submit to God and see what he can do through that. So hopefully this has inspired you to go into the holiday season with that, and I will um, turn the time back over to Dave.
0: Thank you for walking us through Luke 1 um, and those three characters. And in a lot of ways, I think that all three of these characters, Zacharias, Elizabeth, and Mary, can be summed up with the response that Mary gave. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. That was what they were willing to do. And, and then that came out in how they responded to what the Lord was asking them both to give up and to then take on um, and and to be used uh, by him. Thank you very much for that. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Father, thank you this morning for this look at this narrative leading up to the coming to the birth of Christ and the response and the attitudes of these three characters as was pointed out in Luke 1. And Lord, I pray that as we embark on this season, but not only this season, but throughout our lives, that we would maintain the kind of posture and attitude displayed by these three godly people. And it wasn't about what they received from it, but the joy and the honor of doing what you asked them to do. And I pray, too, that we would just see it that way, that it's not that you're asking us to give up something so much as it is that you're, giving us a gift and being able to participate with you in the work that you are already accomplishing. And Lord, I pray that you would enable us to lay down those selfish ambitions and desires for one of being a servant of you. Pray that you would uh, dismiss us with your blessing we bless Daniel for sharing this morning and uh, just ask that you would be with us throughout this week as we endeavor to follow you. Thank you in Jesus name. Amen.